we're going to look at a very tough topic today, and we're not going to spend a lot of time. Uh, we're going to have a tough topic. A uh, couple areas we're going to look at. The first area we're going to look at as a church is we're going to look at the issue of lust. Uh, lust is an area that has infiltrated our world. Lust is an area that is prevalent everywhere you go. Lust is an area that has infiltrated the church. And if we understand what lust is, we understand that lust is probably destroying lives left and right. In fact, uh, when you're dealing with topics like this, you're kind of faced with, with, with a dilemma where you have to look at this issue and you look at what God says about it and you have to do one of two things. Number one, either you have to um, change your conduct or you have to change your theology. And that's what we're faced with today. As we open up God's word, either we have to be willing to allow God to change our conduct or we have to change our theology. And unfortunately, there's too many people that have chosen to change their theology and water down the word of God, water down what God has to say on this topic. The second area we're going to deal with today is, is divorce. And I know when you start bringing up the D word, uh, this is a painful topic for, for many people. Uh, there are many, many people who are deeply wounded because of this topic. And even just having this discussion about divorce, it brings up memories and feelings which, uh, which many of us wish we could just keep bottled down. We don't want to bring them up. We don't want to think about them because of the, the deep wounds that many of us have uh, uh, wished to forget. And so as we start talking about these topics, I want to start, uh, and I want to end on the same idea. I want to start with this idea uh, of grace. And let me clarify uh, we're going to deal with some hard things. And starting on grace does not give us an excuse to sin. But when we understand grace on the basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the issues that we talk about today of adultery and lust and divorce, none of these are uh, outside of the forgiveness of Christ. None of these are the unforgivable sin. I want to make sure we understand very clearly coming in that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus accomplished for us, if we recognize the enormity of our sin, and if we are willing to cast ourselves on the mercy of Jesus, you and I can be forgiven no matter how much of a mess of our life we have, been, we have made. And I can be very bold and say, I assure you, I assure you that if you cast yourself at the feet of Jesus, that you can and will be forgiven by him. Christ is greater than any sin that we can have in our life. Yet as we deal with these topics, my prayer today, my prayer for myself, my prayer for every one of us, is when we start thinking about these issues of, of lust and adultery and divorce, uh, my, my, my prayer is that we would be challenged where instead of allowing the world to influence how we think about these topics, that we would allow God's word to influence us. That we would say, instead of the world dictating, here's how you view this area, that we would say, okay, God, what do you have to say about this? And that we would, we would change our conduct to be in line with what God has to say about it. So we're going to jump right in, Sermon on the Mount. We've started the Sermon on the Mount series a, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we come through some very difficult things for us to, to hear and read the, from the mouth of Jesus himself. When Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, he spent some time talking about, this is what the character looks like if you are a part of the kingdom of God. These were what we call the Beatitudes. 
And these are the, the character for those of us who are a part of the kingdom of God. We need to uh, be these things. And then he's going to spend pretty much the rest of the time on the Sermon on the Mount dealing with what our conduct looks like, how we behave and how we operate within the body of Christ. Last week, uh, Jesus started talking about the issue of anger. Uh, and, and that was a great discussion. It was a challenging discussion. I think some of us uh, sought reconciliation this past week in a big way. And I think that's a tremendous step for us. Today, Jesus is going to deal with the issue uh, of sex and marriage. And uh, like I said, uh, we're going to jump right in. Before we, uh, if you have a, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, well, that's where we're going to spend our time today, Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back. If you just slip your hand up, we'd love to give you uh, one of these. All the verses I'll, I'll read today will also be on the screen behind me. But before we can jump into Matthew chapter 5, I'm just going to ask you to kind of hang out there for a second. Before we can get to Matthew chapter 5, I kind of feel like we've got to do some foundation work. We've got to make sure we're, we're in a, a right understanding as to the way that God created sex and the way that God created uh, relationships. And so... Uh, it starts in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we know that God is our creator. We know the, the Genesis story where God created man, um, and then God created woman, and we're really thankful he did. Amen, men? Yes, we are. Uh, God created man and woman, and, and he placed him in the garden. And remember the term that he said. Is he said he, he created the man and woman, and they were in the garden, and they were naked and unashamed. That's a good place to be. All right? And so, and so in verse... 28 of Genesis chapter 1, this is what God says. It says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See, from the very beginning, from the very foundations, God's saying, I did this. I created this. I created the man. I created the woman. I placed him in the garden. I blessed them. And I said, listen, go and have some fun. Go and, and, and do your thing. God's saying, I did that. I created this idea of relationships and intimacy. Now, I know for some of us, we start thinking about this idea of sex, and we think, man, like, we, we can't talk about sex in church. Like, sex is, is dirty. We're not allowed to have these conversations. And that's, that's part of the problem. It's because we have these, these uh, false illusions about sex is it becomes difficult for us to talk about. There's actually a book in the Bible. You can turn there if you want. Song of Solomon, uh, Song of Psalms. I, I'm not going to turn there, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about what Song of Psalms says. Song of Psalms is full of spicy things. It talks about fawns and twin gazelles. Um, it talks about invite, a wife inviting her husband into a spicy garden to enjoy the fruits. Like, I'm just getting red-faced thinking about these things. Like, I'm not going to tell you what they mean. I'm going to let your imagination go and let you do your thing. But this idea of sex... Listen, this is a gift from God. Sex is a gift of God that is meant for procreation. It's meant for pleasure. Let's be clear from the very beginning. God's not against sex. God is, God is not trying to rob you of any experience. God is pro-sex. In fact, he is the author of the gift. He gave us the gift of sex. And it is a gift to be celebrated. But here's the problem. So God's given us the gift... And too many times what we've done is we've abused it. We've taken this gift that God's given us, and God said, here's what it looks like. And we've said, well, I'm going to change it. I'm going to use it how I want to use it, not the way that God, you created it to, to, to be used. Right? So we move to Genesis chapter 2. 
Genesis chapter 2, it clarifies this idea of intimacy and relationship. Genesis 2, verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. See, what God did right there flies completely in the face, is completely contrary to what our culture around us tells us to believe about sex. See, our culture around us says sex is only a physical act. That's all it is. That's all sex is. And what God said right there completely counterfeits that, completely says contradicts that. In one sense, sex is a physical act. It is a physical thing. But when he says two becoming one flesh, this goes much more than just a physical act. It is a spiritual, emotional, uh, and mental act. And when we, when we limit sex to just being a physical act, we are putting our mind and our soul and our heart at risk. Because that's not the way that God created it. God created sex to be this, this physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental connecting of two people becoming one flesh. And one more passage I want to look at that is foundational for us to understand uh, relationships and sex before we get into the Matthew 5 today is in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, uh, there's some religious leaders of the day, scribes and Pharisees. They come up and ask Jesus a question. They're trying to trap Jesus is what they're trying to do. And so Jesus is going to point back to this very passage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, he's going to point back to this and kind of give us some explanation of what that means. So in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 4, Jesus answers those scribes and Pharisees and says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and fall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Again, that's Genesis 2, 24. And verse 6, Jesus says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Well, therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Here's God. Establishing for us this idea of marriage and intimacy. As he is the author of the gift, the creator of the gift of sex. Here's what he's saying to us. Because of what is at stake. Because of what is at stake. Because it is a physical act. It is an emotional act. A spiritual act. A mental act. Because of so much writing on, on, on sex. He's saying, listen, sex belongs in this marriage commitment. Of two people becoming one. Of this marriage covenant. Of this radical commitment that says, listen, I love you. I don't just love your body. I don't just love what we can do together. I love your soul. I love your mind. I love who you are. And when we have that marriage covenant, that relationship, that commitment between one of, another, one of, one of, one of each other. That is a commitment that says, listen, I'm not leaving you. For rich or for poor. In sickness and in health. For good and for bad. I'm committed to you. Not just for what we do together. But I'm committed to you as a person. Even if sex becomes the bottom of the list. Even if we've become too busy and there's lots of other things going on. And we're not having the frequency I want. I'm still committed to you as a person. For who you are. And when sex happens outside of the confines of that marriage relationship, 
Sure, there might be a physical commitment, but it's not a total commitment. When we, have, when we experience sex outside of the relationship that God created for it to be experienced in, what we're saying is, I, I want your body, but I don't really want all of you. I don't want your soul. I don't want your mind. I don't want your emotions. I, I like you, but I really, I'm not ready to lose my independence. I'm not willing to change my life for your sake. And this is going to fly in the face of what God has, has said about marriage and sex. In fact, in that verse uh, 6 of Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. See, this is how marriage works. God in his sovereignty, he says, what God has joined together, when you become married, that's an act of God. That's the sovereignty of God bringing the two of you together. And listen, if God brings us together, then we don't get to choose when we separate. That's what he's saying. He said, uh, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Listen, God's the one who defines when we come together. God's the one who defines when we separate. Marriage is to be this monogamous, intimate, never-ending commitment between two people. Before him. Listen, I know you start looking and saying, well, you know, God just gave us a rule for, for sex. It says you, if you're going to have sex, it's got to be in this confines of, of how I describe it needs to be. And you, you think, well, well, God, like that's, that's, that's a rule. Like you're, you're, you're going to try and limit my joy. You're trying to take away the, the freedom I could have. Like, God, do you understand? Listen, this is where I come back to Genesis chapter 1 and say they were naked and unashamed. Like, doesn't that sound the place that you want to be? At least a man, we want to be naked and unashamed. Sounds like a great place to be. See, to be naked and unashamed means there's, there, there's nothing held back. There's no shame. There's no embarrassment. You are completely free where two people become one. That is what it means to be naked and unashamed. That all parts of you. Your emotions, your, 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 your mind, your, your body, all of those things become one. There's nothing be, that, that's hidden. There's nothing that needs to be private. There's nothing that's shameful. It is completely out in the open. And if you want to experience true sexual freedom, that comes when all of these things are lined up. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. So as I look and say, well, what's, what's the foundation that I need to understand for this message today? Is this idea that sexual freedom is found in a lifelong marriage commitment of sexual faithfulness. This is what God has taught us. That if we want to experience sexual freedom and be naked and unashamed, that it is only found in a lifelong commitment of sexual faithfulness. And that's the foundation we need to understand before we jump into Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is ready to deal with lust and adultery and divorce that really become obstacles to our sexual freedom, to experience being naked and unashamed. These are obstacles. So Jesus starts out, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, and this is what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That sounds pretty basic, right? Like we know our Ten Commandments, don't kill, don't have another gods before me. The seventh commandment is thou shall not commit adultery. 
Adultery means uh, sexual immorality outside of the confines of marriage. Now, what happened in Jesus' day is these religious leaders, remember, they, they, they were focused on the outward actions. And so they took that to say, well, as long as I don't have the physical act of adultery, I'm good. As long as I physically don't commit adultery, it doesn't matter what I do in my heart, it doesn't matter what I do on Facebook, as long as I physically don't have adultery, then I'm good. And so this uh, resulted in this, this, this pride, this arrogance on these religious leaders where somebody who struggled with this area, they would condemn them, they would judge them, and it was just an ugly mess. But like Jesus started last week, and like Jesus is going to continue, Jesus is going to say, listen, it's not your outward actions that make you guilty before God. God's not concerned with just the outward actions. Our heart leads to our actions. God's concerned about our heart. So this is what he says in verse 28. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Just let that sink in. Obviously, obviously this is written towards a man, but this applies to a woman as well. God does not count you righteous just because you haven't physically committed the act of adultery. If you, had lusted, if you have lusted after another person, he says you are, are, are guilty of adultery in the heart. And in terms of the sexual freedom that's found in, in a marriage commitment of sexual faithfulness, lust breaks that commitment of sexual faithfulness. That's what Jesus just said. Lust breaks that commitment of sexual faithfulness. So Jesus deal with this issue of lust. I feel like one of the things we need to do is, 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 what is, is we need to define what lust is. Like what is, what is lust? Because I'll, I'll be clear. Lust is not recognizing the beauty around you. Lust is not uh, uh, noticing what is natural and normal attraction that's part of our humanity. We're created to, to value beauty. That's not wrong. But lust happens when you look at someone uh, in a way that you would want to own or possess them. Lust is when you look at someone as an object that exists to gratify yourself. Lust is when you want what you are not in a marriage covenant to take. Lust is when you take what is not yours. In fact, there's an author by the name of A.B. Bruce, and I thought what he said about lust was really important. He said, lust, it is not the casual, but the persistent. It's not the involuntary or the momentary, but the cherished. Lust isn't the first glance. Lust is the second glance. Lust isn't the first second, it's the second look, and the third look, and the fourth look, and the fifth look. That swells that lust, that, that, that feeds upon the object that you were looking at. That's the definition of what lust is. Lust is going to play itself, in, itself out in multiple ways. Obviously, we live in a sexually driven society. It's all around us, built on our desire for lust. And so uh, you see lust play out in images and movies and catalogs you get in the mail and, and romance novels. I mean, we are bombarded with sexual images. This is why the hit songs on the radio, they're not about food. What are they about? Right? Because we have this hunger for, for lust. There's two areas of, of lust I feel like are worthy for us to highlight this morning. That probably encompass most of those areas. 
the first area I feel like we have to deal with is pornography. Pornography. It has never been so great a problem as it is, as it is today. You know why? Because it's at our fingertips. It's in our pockets. On our cell phones. With us 24-7. Do you know, realize there are more, there's more money spent in the pornography industry than in the three major sports uh, leagues combined? I know some of you are like, what? Three sports? That's the NFL, the, the NBA, Major League Baseball. There is over $35 billion spent on those three sports industries combined. Listen, there's still more money spent on the porn industry itself every year. And I know we have a society that begins to tell us, you know, porn is, is innocent. It enhances your sex life. And it is a lie. It is an absolute lie. Pornography is destructive to those that are involved. It is, it is destructive to marriages. It is destructive to families. It is destructive to children. It is destructive to careers. It is destructive to lives. And you can look, there are, 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 are non-secular religious studies and there are now secular studies that will all tell us the same thing. Pornography is dangerous. It rewires how your brain works. It is an addictive like a drug. It dehumanizes people. Studies all prove this same idea. That despite what people tell us, pornography is extremely dangerous. Second area where I feel lust is an issue is probably this idea of fantasy. This is where we read those smutty books. The ones that are in the checkout counter. Know what I'm talking about? This is where we watch those TV shows. This is why we watch those movies. So we can fantasize about it. This is why we like the notebook. Because we want to dwell in the ideal state. We're in a rowboat with Ryan Gosling. And there's a passionate love because he's desiring me. We fantasize about that, don't we not? This is where we begin to wonder, man, what would it be like to be married to this person? That's where we go into Facebook. Start stalking our old high school crush. Imagine what it would be like to be married to them. This is where you have somebody that maybe you look up to. A leader. You're like, man, that person is amazing. I wonder what it would be like to be married to him. Like, we would be so great together. That's fantasy. That's lust. That's longing for something that is not yours. And what happens in our heart, Jesus said, is what makes us guilty before God. Then when we have that lust in our heart, that pornography, that fantasy, we are guilty before him. And listen, if we're going to be honest, and I would encourage you to be honest, because there's no way for us to allow God to do some work in our life unless we are honest. If we're honest, we're in a room full of adulterers in here, are we not? All of us are guilty at some level of lust. And I, I've been a pastor long enough that I've heard all the excuses. I know, I know the excuse begins to come in. Well, you know, pastor, uh, yeah, I struggle with lust. And maybe take lust out of the picture. I struggle with, with over-drinking. I struggle with, with yelling at my wife. I did this sort of thing. And I'll, I only did it because, because, because I was stressed out. I only did it because my wife is just driving me nuts. I only did it because my husband doesn't show me affection. He's, he, he's inattentive to me. 
I only, I only do this because work's crazy right now. I only do this because my wife's not as interested in sex as I am. I only do this to hold me off until I get married. Because then when I get married, this issue will take care of itself. And we look at the problem that we have and we think it's out here. And say, if I could just solve this problem out here, then that issue my heart's done with. And Christ would say no. Christ said the problem isn't out here. The problem's inside of us. It's in our, it's in our heart. Our actions are driven by our heart. And until we realize that, until we are willing to be honest with ourselves and with God, and acknowledge that our hearts are desperately wicked, we're never going to experience that sexual freedom. We're never going to experience freedom in life until we stop shifting the blame and start dealing with the root issue which is our heart. Verse 31, Jesus is going to change the topic from, from lust and adultery onto divorce. And in terms of that sexual freedom found in that lifelong marriage commitment of sexual faithfulness, he's going to teach us a very simple idea that divorce breaks that commitment of lifelong faithfulness. Here's what he says in verse 31. It says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. God never approved of divorce. And there's, yeah, you can look in the Old Testament and say, well, what about Deuteronomy chapter 24? Deuteronomy chapter 24, God says, listen, uh, if you give your, your, your wife a, a, a certificate of divorce, then that frees you from being bound to her and that frees her. And, and, and specifically in, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, God was recognizing that we're broken and we're sinful and we do what we want to do. And so he recognized that divorce took place and God gave instructions to regulate it, particularly to protect the woman, particularly to protect her. It was never God's desire, never God's intent that divorce was a part of the picture. So well, how, do you, how do you know that? All right, well, if we flip your Bible ahead a few pages to, to Matthew chapter 19, we looked at that passage earlier. Again, Jesus dealing with that issue with those scribes and Pharisees who were trying to trap him. Jesus says in verse 8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from, from the beginning, it was not so. Because we're stubborn and we do what we want to do anyways. God gave some instruction to regulate it, but it was not God's intent. It's never been God's desire that divorce is a part of the picture. Say, so, well, why not? Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Why is, why is, is divorce not God's desire? Simply enough, divorce is not God's desire for two reasons. Number one, divorce hurts people. Like I, like, I don't care how bad the situation is. Divorce hurts people. Divorce hurts the kids. Divorce hurts the individuals involved in it. Divorce, divorce hurts our society. In fact, I remember growing up, I remember mom and dad uh, had it, going through a rough patch. And they decided they were going to separate. So they brought all us kids in. They sat us down and said, listen, kids, we're going to separate. And I didn't know there was a difference. I thought, that's divorce. I remember crying for weeks 
Because dad's not going to be home anymore. Dad's not going to take me camping. Dad's not going to let me walk him to the bus stop. Divorce hurts people. It absolutely does. If you've been through it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's never God's desire. Second reason why God, divorce was not God's desire is because the marriage relationship reflects his relationship to us. That when we make that radical commitment to somebody else to say, listen, I, I, I'm with you. In good or bad, in sickness or health, in rich or poor, I'm with you. I'll stick with you through the thick and thin. But when we change that definition of, uh, of marriage and we say, well, you know, you can fall in and out of love and, and, you know, you can fall in and out of marriage. And, you know, we have these, um, these no-fault divorces. What does that say about God's commitment to us? If marriage is a picture of how he feels towards us, if we think, well, I can just fall out of love and, and divorce, what does that say about God? Does that mean he can fall out of love with me? And separate himself from me? That's not how God works. That's not the commitment that God makes to us. That's not the standard. I know some of you are saying, okay, well, what about abuse? What about abuse? If there's abuse in a marriage, and I will say there's absolutely wisdom to separate uh, uh, in order to protect a a spouse or, or a child. But I want us to take a hard look at what Jesus just said. Of what he said in Matthew chapter 20, chapter 5, and verse 31. That we would take serious the, the weight and the permanence and the seriousness of the marriage relationship. And understand how significant it is. And I want you to notice this, Matthew chapter 5, back in our text. The, on the grounds of sexual immorality, divorce is permitted, but it is not commanded. It is not commanded. Too often what happens, and we're in that marriage relationship and things get difficult, we, we like to minimize our own behavior and maximize the sins of the person, of, the, of, the, of our spouse, of the other, other party. And so we go through marriage and we look for a way out instead of looking for a way through. Right? And see, as I read my Bible... As I read this book right here, the emphasis in Scripture is always, for every relationship, including last week when we talked about somebody who might be angry with us, God's desire for every relationship is that we would go and make things right, that there would be repentance, that there would be forgiveness, that there would be reconciliation, that there would be restoration. In fact, this is why, this is why Restoration Church has a name of Restoration. Because we believe that God is a God of restoration. That God can take the most broken things and redeem them. I mean, isn't that what God has done with me? Isn't that what God has done with you? He's taken our brokenness and said, listen, let me redeem that. Let me make that valuable again. Let me make it worth something. This is a hard word from Jesus. Dealing on marriage. And in terms of that sexual freedom, a freedom that is found through that lifelong marriage commitment through sexual faithfulness. Adultery breaks that marriage commitment, that lifelong commitment. And divorce breaks that lifelong faithfulness. And just as much as this passage 
is going to teach us something. This passion, this passage is all more so about doing something. He's not going to just leave us alone to say, listen, these are, the, these are the things you have to do. There's some guardrails for us. There's four, four points of applications I want to give you today. Guardrails for sexual purity. First guardrail for sexual purity is to guard your heart. Simply enough, just guard your heart. The book of Proverbs uh, chapter 4 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. We already talked about this. That our actions are rooted in our heart. They come out of what happens in our heart. Sin, it starts at its heart, and it works its way outward. I mean, no one ever committed a sexual sin without first deciding in their heart, hey, I'm going to go and do this. It starts in the heart. The best way for you and I to guard our heart is to have a, a vibrant, growing, and passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, this is the basis of Christianity. Christianity is not about a bunch of do's and don'ts and, and rules to follow. That's not what Christianity is about. Maybe that's what you've experienced in the past, but that is not what biblical Christianity is all about. Biblical Christianity is about being reconciled to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. That changes everything. Where no longer is it religion, now is this relationship with Christ because of what he's done for us. And he lives inside of us and changes us from the inside out. That is that, that vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. It changes everything. Listen, as you're saying, well, well, how do I have this vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen, it starts first with, with recognizing who you are in Christ, that we are all dependent on him. This is why the first beatitude, chapter 5, verse 3 of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, is to be poor in spirit. To recognize I'm all broken. I don't bring anything to the table. I am dependent on God alone for salvation. You want to grow that vibrant relationship with Christ? It's very simple things. This book right here. The more you're in this book, the stronger that relationship with Christ will grow. Be in, a, be in community with God's people. Be in fellowship with God's people. Spend time in worship with God. All these things, they're going to grow this, this vibrant relationship with him. We are bombarded every day with our over-sexualized culture. But if Christ is present in our life, if we're focused on him and that relationship, listen, all that other stuff on the outside, man, it protects us against that foolishness. Because there's something greater that we're pursuing, and that's him. Second guardrail to sexual purity is we have to take action. Probably the simplest thing is just to take action. We skipped over this, these couple of verses earlier. So I want you to look back, Matthew 5, verse 29. Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than the whole body go into hell. Listen, if you show up like a pirate next week, that's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? He, he's talking hyperbole. 
He's saying, listen, if you're going to take action, you have to be re- ready to take drastic action in order to, to safeguard yourself from the issues that will destroy you. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, dealing uh, on this issue of temptation and sin, Martin Luther said, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. You know what's really funny about Martin Luther saying? He was bald. He shaved his head. And he's talking about not letting birds build a nest in your hair. I think that's funny. Maybe you don't. What that means is that we have to take drastic measures in in, in situations to protect ourselves. That's where, where, men you struggle with pornography. There's that wonderful Christian movie, uh, Fireproof. You know, medium quality movie. I don't, B grade. I don't know what you call it. That movie Fireproof with Kirk Cameron. My favorite part of that movie is an example of this idea. Where he's trying to work on his relationship with his wife and, and struggling with pornography. And he takes his computer and throws the whole thing in the dumpster. That is a drastic action that we're talking about. Be willing to to do those big things. Turn the TV off. Cut the stupid cable. You don't have to have cable. You don't have to have a Facebook account. You don't have to have a smartphone. Like, I don't care if everybody has an iPhone. You don't have to have one. You can have a dumb phone, a flip phone that doesn't have access to all that crap. It's possible for you to go back to that sort of thing. You don't have to have Facebook and Instagram. You don't have to have those things. I don't care if the world around you says, what do you mean you're not on Facebook? You don't have to have it. If it's a struggle for you, cut it out. Listen, what does your internet situation look like? Do you have accountability software? Do people know what you do online? Is there visibility to your browsing? Why not? Why not? Recognize the gravity of the situation that Jesus is talking about here. He said, listen, gouging your eye out, cutting your hand off is better than being thrown into hell. Cutting the cable is better than being thrown into hell. Getting rid of your smartphone is better than being thrown into hell. Listen, if you're married, does your spouse have access to your Facebook account and your passwords? Does your spouse have access to your phone and your computer? If not, if your spouse doesn't have access to those things, I'm just going to call, call bullcrap on you right here and right now. You are not serious about what Jesus is talking about here today. You don't really care. You're not serious about these things. You'd rather be the little God of your life rather and worship yourself and worship your convenience and worship your comfort rather than having the sexual purity that God's talking about. You'd rather hold on to this instead of experiencing the beauty of what God has offered to us. Wake up. I I mean, I can't say that more. Like, wake up. If you are allowing pornography and fantasy in your life, you are allowing a fire to start inside you, and the fire will consume and destroy you if left unchecked. Wake up. 
Be willing to do these things. Get the accountability around you. Invite people in. I think one of the biggest actions that you can take is simply just to be known. I recognize that there are going to be some in this room that are slaves to pornography. That are slaves to fantasy. That are flirting with someone in their office, a coworker. There are some in this room that have stuff like this in their life and not another single person knows what's going on in their heart. And sure, you can show up on Sunday and act like everything is fine. But truthfully, truthfully, you're miserable inside. Because it is exhausting trying to live these two lives. Trying to hide this other part of you. You are empty. And even if you feel like people like you, you can't experience genuine love because you can't be open and honest with who you truly are. It's a fake. Why do you pretend? Don't you trust what God has done for you? Don't you understand that God is not glorified with how we appear to everybody else? He's glorified when we say, God, I'm a total mess and you still love me. God is glorified when I can be open about my junk and say, listen, I've got this junk in my life, but God still loves me. That's when God is glorified. He's not glorified. He's not happy when we live a sham of a life and we have this fakeness, this phoniness. He wants us to experience that freedom. He wants us to be able to be naked and unashamed. And when we keep this secret, this this sin life, we are trading freedom for slavery. We are trading the best that God can give us for slavery. And that is a horrible way to live. We've got to be willing to be known. Listen, if you've got these struggles in your life, you need to talk to someone. You probably need to talk to someone today. Come talk to me. Come talk to to one of our elders. Come talk to Jake. If you're in a life group, call your life group leader and say, hey man, can I have a conversation with you? If you're married, talk to your spouse. Tell them what's going on. I know some of you are saying, well, if I talk to my spouse, she's going to be furious. You're probably right. But listen, isn't, Isn't her being angry for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month? Isn't that worth being able to grow a deep and intimate relationship? Because now you can finally be honest and truthful. Don't you want to experience what God created for us to be naked and unashamed? To have that complete intimacy? Third guardrail for Sexual purity is just to simply honor your marriage. Honor the marriage commitment. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15 says, Guard yourselves in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Maybe you got married when you're older. Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your old age. C.S. 
See, this is where we have to resist the permissiveness of our culture. That says marriage doesn't matter. You can live with somebody. You can experience sex outside of marriage, and it doesn't really matter. We've got to resist that. Guard the, the sacredness of the marriage relationship. And understand that divorce is not always an option. See uh, marriage the way that God created that, that, that brings freedom. Honor your vows. Honor uh, the love. Honor your marriage. Experience and, and be willing to give love and forgiveness as you have received from Christ. Listen, I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not. Marriage is hard. Nothing requires grace and forgiveness more than an intimate relationship in marriage. But it's absolutely worth it. It is absolutely beautiful. It is absolutely worth it. Number four, guardrail for purity. It's just to simply be healed. That you and I would experience healing. I told you we're going to start on grace and we're going to end on grace. Because I don't want you to come into here today and I don't want you to walk out of here feeling shame. That's not my intent. My prayer is that we would feel convicted. I pray that the Lord would convict us, that we would understand his words here. I don't want you to feel shame. What does it look like for you to pluck out your eye, to cut off your hand? Probably more important, what does it look like for you to experience healing? I said this earlier. I said, I can assure you, I can assure you that if you have failed in these areas, maybe you failed multiple times, maybe you failed coming in today, I can assure you that if you will recognize the gravity of your sin and cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus, that you are forgiven by him. You know where that assurance comes from? You know why I can stand up here and I can promise you that you'll be forgiven by God? Because what he tells us in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, remember that thing of Jesus on the cross dying for our sin and paying our penalty? Listen, that includes pornography. That includes lust. That includes searching an old flame on Facebook. That includes divorce. The first one and the second one and the third one. That thing on the cross includes all of that. And, and when you come to Jesus and you confess your sins, those aren't held against you anymore. They don't define you. God doesn't look at you and say, there's a pornographer. He looks at you and says, there's my child who I love. And I gave my life for. And there is healing when we recognize that we are not defined by our sin, but we are defined by his love and his sacrifice on the cross. I can't tell you enough how much God loves you. And I can say these issues, if they've brought conviction in your life, and if you're willing to do this, to confess our sins. I promise you that there is grace and there is forgiveness 
available for you today. And that you will never experience healing until you're willing to do that. 